expression of our sacred story is the weekly sermon. If our sermons inspire you to ponder the sacred, to consider the mystery and love of God, and to live bountifully, would you consider supporting our work? You can donate easily and securely at our website, pearlchurch.org, or follow the link in the podcast notes. Thank you for partnering with us in expressing this sacred story. Perfect, but capable of extravagant love. We give thanks for those who have revealed to us the very face of God. In Christ's name, I pray these things. Amen. And please be seated. As we shared at the beginning of today's service, this morning marks the Feast of All Saints. All Saints celebrates the faithful women and men, known and unknown, past and present, whose lives have been marked by the love and grace of God. The Feast of All Saints is an opportunity for us as a church to thank the Lord for them and to remember the roles that they've played in bringing God's kingdom uh, here to earth among us. I think at times the notion of a saint means that a person was otherworldly, quite possibly perfect like an image of the perfect divine. In some Christian traditions, one requirement for achieving sainthood status is proof that this potential saint actually performed a miracle. A miracle. It's defined as being a surprising and welcome event that is not explicable by nature or scientific laws and is therefore considered to be the work of a divine agency. A miracle a surprising and welcome event that's considered to be the work of divine agency. And perhaps a surprising and welcome event that's considered to be a work of divine agency is a miracle, like the churning of of a rock into a loaf of bread for a group of hungry people, or, or a holy person who prays a prayer in the midst of a barren region and rain suddenly begins to fall from the sky. But it doesn't have to be so grand. It certainly doesn't mean that a person is perfect. I mean, if perfection is that which makes a saint, then not even Moses was saintly. Uh, Jesus' beloved disciple John was not saintly if perfection is that which makes a saint. And certainly the Apostle Paul isn't saintly if perfection is the mark of a saint. The Greek word for saint is agios, which refers to a person who is dedicated to the service of God. A saint is a person who's dedicated to the service of God. And at Pearl, we talk a lot about how 1 John refers to God as infinite love. God is love. And so if God is love, as 1 John explains, then perhaps a saint is any person, any person dedicated to the service of love. Christian, non-Christian, orthodox, unorthodox, love is the revelation of divine agency in and through the lives of saints among us. And according to this morning's reading from the New Testament, these agents of love stand among humankind like a witnessing cloud that urges the manifestation of love in our own lives and in our own particular worlds. This morning's responsorial psalm, we sang, Lord, this is the people that longs to see 
your face. This is the people that longs to see the divine face. And this morning, we have the opportunity to hear from three Pearl members who will point to theologians and friends and artists to declare there. There is a miracle. There is a human being who has made God's face manifest in my life through love. Truly, that person is a saint. Uh, this morning, we'll begin by hearing from Irvin Brown, and then Jen Johnson will share, and then Tim Andrews will wrap up our time. Irvin? Good morning, everyone. Good morning, Irvin. <laughs> How many of us know that it's good to be here today? Come on. Is it good? Amen. Amen, somebody. Um, so I'm from Louisiana, and so for those of us that are familiar with the South, you know, we have this thing called call and response, uh, meaning I talk, you talk, right? And so uh, it's, it's, a, it's a very awakening experience if you're not used to it. Uh, so I encourage you to visit the South. Uh, don't, don't go there to live. Just visit. <laughs> visit and come on back. Um, Pastor Mike, thank you for the opportunity uh, uh, to share. Uh, the person I'm going to talk about today may be familiar to some of us um, and maybe introducing him for the first time, and that's Dr. Howard Thurman. Anybody familiar with that name, Howard Thurman? Um, he's really known for his work uh, entitled uh, Jesus and the, the Disinherited. And when you think about um, Dr. Thurman, uh, African-American man uh, born in 1899 and died in 81, um, I'm going to read something to you momentarily, but when you think of this particular man, uh, the things that he did, the example that he set and continues to set, uh, as we think about the scripture that was, that was being read to us, uh, he is one of those witnesses that, that's cheering us on. And for me, as a black man, in the skin that I am in and the role that I play, uh, those ancestors, uh, they not only paved the way, um, but I, like Cicely Tyson said, I am not on the backs of my ancestors, but I'm on their backs and their necks uh, because they held me up. And being someone as a person of color, I know what that feels like, you know, to walk into a space knowing that all spaces were not inclusive of someone that looks like me. And so Dr. Thurman, uh, we accredit him with being a poet, a mystic, uh, a philosopher, uh, we like to think about civil rights movement. And every time you think of civil rights, you may think of Dr. King. Well, prior to Dr. King, there was a Dr. Thurman. And Dr. Thurman has been credited as being a mentor of Dr. King. And Dr. Thurman also happened to be the first African-American to meet with Gandhi. Imagine that. Uh, so this man, this gentleman, uh, he was the first individual to actually uh, bring a church together in San Francisco, of all places, that was not just interracial, but it was interdenominational. People from all walks of life and beliefs, they came together in one place to proclaim that Jesus is Lord. Amen, somebody. Amen. Uh, there are a lot of things that people may think that's Lord, but we only know of one Lord, and his name is Jesus Christ. Um, and so when I think about the legacy that he represented, and I think about the battles that we all fight, how many of us know we have battles to fight? If you don't, keep living, uh, because <laughs> battles, uh, battles don't care uh, where you come from. Uh, battles have uh, no respect of persons. Uh, battles just knock at your door. They show up. Problems show up. And usually, sometimes, we're not always ready for problems. 
Uh, one, of the, one of my favorite passages is uh, found in uh, Romans chapter 8. And many of us probably have heard it. You've probably already given it to, um, to memory. Romans 8.28 says this, And we know that all things work together for good for those who love God, who are the called according to his purpose. And we know that all things work together for good for those who are who love God and call according to his purpose. For we know that all things work together. Didn't say it was going to feel good, right? But it was going to work together for my good. And when I think about the legacy of Dr. Thurman, of someone who had to, you know, cross over barriers and build bridges, so the disenfranchised, the forgotten, the excluded, just could have a representation. Because how many of us know that we all don't get an invite to the party? And when you don't get an invite to the party, sometimes you may feel a little bit left out. Uh, but when it comes to Jesus, he is so inclusive, is he not? He knows how to provide a space and welcome everybody to the table. And I think about Judas. Right before Judas did what he did, the Lord said to him, it was in a kiss that Judas recognized the master. And Jesus said, whatever you're going to do, do it quickly. Even in the midst of him about to give up his last breath, he still broke bread with someone who was about to betray him. The disinherited, what it feels like to be included. I'm going to read something to you, then I'm going to take my seat. Uh, this is from one of Dr. Thurman's works, and it's called uh, Deep is the Hunger. At this time of the year, I always like to take stock. Right? I don't know about you, but I'm a very reflective, contemplative person. I like to take stock. I like to look back at February to see how messed up I was. <laughs> I don't know about you, but I was messed up in February. <laughs> and, and then I like to move and get closer to the spring, you know, April and May, where it was still wet and we were hoping for the sun, but it never showed. And then I want to get into July and, and August. I like to get to this time of the year just to think back and think about the goodness of the Lord. And what I'm going to read to you, he wrote this decades ago, but I think it'll make sense to us. And this is what he says. I cannot say with the Apostle Paul that I have fought a good fight, but I can say that I have fought a hard one. Thus wrote a very famous novelist of the last century. Each of us, in his own way, can make a similar statement relative to the year that is coming to its close. Sometimes we are tempted to measure life's meaning in terms of happiness, as if that were to be an all end and end all. We have all had our struggles during the year that is now ending. For some, it has been a struggle with our health. Somehow, we have managed to keep on going. Even though there were days when we were sure that we had reached the end of our strength, it was the fear of sickness rather than the fact of sickness that made the battle so terrific. We rejoiced at the end of the year, despite the loss of skirmishes. We lost no major contest to illness. Some others, we struggled, we lost, and we came to the end of the year bound to their beds. For them, there is a joy of survival and the hope of the days ahead for recovery. 
I think there's always hope. And I think there's always a chance to bounce back. Because regardless of what we go through, we do know that all things work together for the good of them, for you and I, who not only love the Lord, but we are called according to his purpose. Look at the person beside you and say, say this to them. It's going to work out. Go ahead and say it. Don't be scared. Good morning. I'm Jen Johnson. Disclaimer, I probably won't get through this without tears, but just so you all know, I'm fine with it. I'm a big fan of a worthy cry, so it doesn't bother me. Hopefully it doesn't bother you either. Um, I'm also not very familiar with the Feast of All Saints on the church calendar, so I just kind of made it my own. I found two main criteria to help me determine if someone's influence in my life would fit the description of saint, as Mike explained it to those of us speaking today. The first is this. I see qualities that draw me in, qualities that invite me toward a deeper experience of the divine. By this description, Norma Abbott is most certainly a saint in my life. First of all, within her rural, small town, East Coast Presbyterian upbringing, she somehow developed a beautifully expansive view of family. She was single until the age of 48. She was very close to her growing up family, but born in 1924, her singleness put her in a pretty non-traditional type of lifestyle for her time that involved finding employment and securing her own housing. She spoke quite fondly of those years, but much more fondly of the years after she married John Abbott. John's first wife had died, so by marriage, Norma became the stepmom to two grown sons, John Jr. and Bob. Both of them had served in Vietnam, and Bob then died of cancer while still in his 20s. So Norma joined this family just in time to face some deeply challenging events, yet she embraced them fully. This included embracing Bob's tiny son, Keith, who was an infant when Bob died. Norma and Keith shared no biological connection and saw each other only sporadically over the years, yet they belonged to each other fully and completely. Uh, Keith is my husband, he's not here today, um, but he's watching online. Uh, Keith and I always just called Norma Grandma, that's what Keith had always called her, so that's what I called her too. And in all my years of knowing her, I never knew her to focus on the twists and turns of her very non-traditional single and then married life at all. Uh, she focused on the families that she was grateful to be a part of. Uh, fully and completely without reservation. So I'm very thankful for her expansive view of family and how it impacted my own. She also had a very practical and embodied faith. Personally, I love a deep conversation. I don't think I ever had one with her. <laughs> she was not one to work out her faith in words, nor was she one to discuss how she felt about things. <laughs> Uh, she baked in quantities I have never seen in my life, and she gave it all away. She crocheted beautifully, and she gave it all away. She was an avid gardener, and she either used what she grew or gave it away. Uh, she was a parish caller for Pennington Presbyterian Church, so she paid visits to homebound seniors until she became one herself. She loved to grow violets, 
go to the farmer's market, watch the birds and the squirrels in her yard, and play dominoes. She didn't need to read books about how to cultivate an unhurried life. She just lived one. As I seek a more embodied faith, I, I look to her example. She also accepted limitations as they came. Her eyesight deteriorated to the point that she couldn't crochet. Her arthritis worsened to the point that she couldn't maintain a garden. She suffered a fall in an icy parking lot on her way into church one Sunday, and after recovering, she just didn't go to church in the winter anymore. She remained thankful for the things she could still do, and she faithfully worked to stay as healthy and as mobile as she could. And she would often say stuff like, I, 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 I'll take my time, but I'll get there. I'll just do what I can. She had all these little sayings that, to me, just communicated this acceptance of limitations. This does not come easy to me, acceptance of limitations. So I'm very thankful she demonstrated this art form with such clarity. She also viewed her time with loved ones as nothing but a gift. Keith and I lived near her the first three years of our marriage before kids. Uh, we would spend most Sunday afternoons with her, and she loved it. If we were ever unable to go, I would feel a little bit guilty, but that was totally my issue. It was nothing to do with Grandma. I remember all three of us, Keith and I and Grandma, crying as we said goodbye before Keith and I moved to Portland. She was just not one to show emotion like that very often, which I am one to show emotion like that very often. So it was this sweet moment of just getting to cry with her and say goodbye. She was so thankful to have had us nearby for a few years. And we would call her on Sunday afternoons, like as often as we could. And even if it had been a while, she would answer the phone and say, oh, I'm just tickled that you called. <laughs> or she would say, I just had a feeling you were going to call today. Um, yeah, with no strings attached and no convoluted subtext. She just treasured us. I would love for the people in my life to know that I treasure my time with them as a gift. These qualities draw me in and invite me toward a deeper experience of the divine in my life. If grandma was listening, she would say, oh, I don't know about all that, and give a little laugh, because she exemplified these qualities to me without ever having any idea that she was doing it. Expansive view of family, a practical and embodied faith, acceptance of limitations, and deeply treasuring her time with her loved ones. The second of the criteria that helped me see grandma as the saint she is in my life is this. She's with me. She passed away in 2013, just a couple months after our son Nathaniel was born. She had seen his newborn photos. She knew that we had passed along Abbott as his middle name, which she was thrilled about. I am so thankful to have been embraced by her as family, and she is with me in so many small and practical and unhurried ways, she's still inviting me into experiences of divine love. Thank you for letting me share this precious saint with you today. Hi, my name is Tim Andrews, and I've been atten attending Pearl for about five and a half years. I met my now husband, Drew, here at about the same time, and we've been together for four and a half years. One of the greatest joys of being at Pearl is getting to serve on the music team, which brings me to the saint I'll be discussing today, Saint Cecilia. Who is Saint Cecilia? 
To be honest, I didn't know who she was until a few weeks ago. But let me give you a brief overview. Saint Cecilia is the saint of music and musicians. She was born sometime in the early, mid-2nd century in Rome. In my research into why she was declared the patron saint of music and musicians, I found a few possible reasons, including because as the musicians played at her wedding, Cecilia sang in her heart to the Lord, or because she heard heavenly music in her heart during her wedding ceremony, or because she sang heartily to God at her wedding, or because as she was dying, she sang to God. Regardless of the reason she was declared a saint, while St. Cecilia's life and martyrdom is absolutely worth recounting, today I'm going to focus instead on what the topic of her sainthood, music and musicians, has taught me about the divine. I was raised in the church, and from an early age, music was a major part of my religious experience. My grandma was a music teacher and played the piano at her church for many, many years. You know, one of those pianists that like doesn't need music, just can literally play everything and anything, change the keys, etc. It's amazing. The moment she noticed a hint of musicality in my brother and I, we were performing the special music at her church. Y'all know special music, yeah. Usually during the offering, they're passing the, the plate around and somebody's wailing it out up on the stage. <laughs> Usually not too well, but that's all right. Um, so I spent many, many Sundays singing the special music at my home church and at my grandparents' Methodist church. Some of my favorite musicians when I was younger included Whitney Houston, Sandy Patty, Nicole C. Mullen, and the Gaither homecoming videos. <laughs> I know that last one is probably a mystery to many of you, but let me paint you a picture of what it was. This is nice. It sounds like some people know this. Okay, I, I, I expected crickets. Um, Gaither Homecoming was founded by Bill and Gloria Gaither in the early 90s. They would gather a group of long-standing pillars of Southern gospel music alongside up-and-coming Christian artists and sing hymns, contemporary Christian music, and of course, gospel. It featured many soloists, including one of my singing inspirations to this day, David Phelps. Does that ring a bell for anybody? No, a little bit? Okay, great. All right, regardless, David Phelps has this incredible soaring tenor voice that I could just not get enough of. I will be aspiring for the rest of my life to sing half as good as he does. So here I am at the age of five years old singing Mary Did You Know, unironically, at the Christmas Eve service excited to return home to watch a group of Southern gospel singers sing hymns that have stood the test of time. I was completely mesmerized by that music and still am to this day. As I mentioned earlier, I am married to a man. And of course, as many of us at Pearl know, whether it was our lived experience or not, growing up in the church with any sort of sexual identity or expression beyond traditional heterosexuality was condemned. So growing up, I didn't always know what to do with the lessons and the sermons that were preached to me. I didn't belong in the world that was presented to me at church camp or the one that was presented to me at the annual Christian conference or during good faith coffee chats with pastors at the church I called home. But you know what world I did belong in? The world that was presented to me in music. What a friend we have in Jesus told me that in God's arms I'll be taken and shielded and I'll find solace there. In the garden proclaimed that God walks with me, God talks with me, and God tells me I am his own. 
Abide with me told me that though the world may change and decay around me, God changes not. Amazing grace declared that God, grace has brought me safe thus far and grace will lead me home. This music allowed my soul to simply sing how great thou art. Something I didn't mention about St. Cecilia is that she had taken a vow of virginity to honor God. Despite this vow, her parents forced her to marry a pagan nobleman named Valerian, as it was the expectation during that time that she would marry and eventually have children. And it was during that wedding ceremony where, as I noted earlier, Cecilia likely sang to the Lord and the origin of her sainthood began. In her own way, Cecilia didn't belong. And during her wedding, an event that she feared could only result in her vow to God being broken, she turned to music to remind her of the goodness of the divine. Many times in my life, I've found myself in a place of faith, looking for full belonging, only to find it in the places where people's words were drowned out by harmonies, where music spoke of the roots of the divine's goodness over exclusion and shame. Whether she sang out loud or sang in her heart to the Lord, I'm grateful for St. Cecilia. I'm grateful to know that music has and will always be a place where people like myself can turn to find safety, comfort, and belonging. Howard Thurman, uh, a face of God who is love. Norma Abbott, a face of God who is love. Saint Cecilia, a face of God who is love. Agents of love who stand among us like a witnessing cloud that urges the manifestation of love in our own lives and in our own particular worlds. It's truly miraculous that humans have the ability to mediate the divine through the way that they live and interact with others in this world. That is what we remember and celebrate on this day of all saints the manifestation of God who is love. And in just a little bit, we'll be invited to light candles in memory of saints who have been the face of God who is love in our own lives. And we hope that the remainder of this service is deeply meaningful for you and for the cloud of witnesses that has marked the life that is yours. Will you pray with me? Imperfect but capable of extravagant love, we give thanks for those saints who have revealed to us the very face of God. We hope that this sermon inspired you to ponder the sacred, to consider the mystery and love of God, and to live bountifully. If you don't already support our work, will you begin today? You can donate easily and securely at our website, pearlchurch.org or follow the link in the podcast notes. Thank you for partnering with us in expressing this sacred story.